Welcome to the REITs Australia podcast. My name is Gary Eastman and our current series is exploring the craft and skill of preaching. Exegeting biblical text faithfully is crucial, but often that's not where we struggle as preachers. We get the meaning right, but fail to get or keep listeners' attention and are then apply truth well to hearts and lives. In this series, we've got a chance to hear from a range of preachers in different settings at different stages of their ministry about the way they approach preparation and delivery of sermons. So it's my great pleasure to welcome Rory Shiner from Providence Church in Western Australia to the podcast. Welcome, Rory. G'day, Gary. Good to, uh, good to be here. Rory, just to help people place you, when did you graduate college? So graduated in 2004. Um, I was over at Moore College and then came back to Sydney. Um, so started kind of post-college ministry in 2005. Just a little while ago now. And so Rory, <laughs> you're a little way down the track uh, of being in the pulpit and gaining experience, but everybody started somewhere. Um, do you remember your first attempt at a serious Bible talk? Yeah, I do. So it was on uh, Philippians chapter one, and it was at um, St. Matthew's Anglican Church in uh, Shenton Park uh, here. And, you know, I spent, I don't know, maybe 40 hours preparing to give that talk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, I think, in hindsight, I think it was okay. I think I remember the second or third talk being a complete catastrophe. But the third one, the first one was okay, although you do have to work out that when people are saying that was really good, what they often mean in those early phases is uh, we support you as a person. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And it wasn't a complete and utter disaster and full of heresy. Yeah, that's right. That, that sounds that's about right. right. Yeah. Uh, do you remember how nervous you were? Yeah, I was pretty nervous. I was um, uh, certainly aware of it. And obviously, um, like lots of us, the first sermon comes at the end of having been heavily impacted for the good by preaching. And so you do feel, mm. I think, the generic nervousness of uh, speaking, a classic uh, kind of... Uh, you know, um, fear of people is the fear of public speaking, and then compounded mm. with a, you know, a bit of a sense of um, that you're you're stewarding a very powerful thing, uh, the Word of God, and um, you know, just coming off the bat of having my life been turned upside down by some people who handled the Bible really well as preachers. Yeah, that's really helpful. You wouldn't want to lose that latter one, and uh, as you go on through your ministry, would you? That's right. I think you can yeah. you can put a lot of downward pressure on uh, nervousness. I don't think I've ever got it to zero, but I've, I've got it to kind of a manageable uh, level. Um, mm. But yeah, you never want to lose that sense of um, that you're doing something really uh, profound and you're speaking about someone uh, who's present at the time, which is uh, very, very sobering. Excellent. Uh, well, one of the ways uh, to put downward pressure on nervousness, as uh, you just said, that's very helpful, is to be prepared well. Uh, I want to go back uh, a long way in the process of preparation, Rory. Uh, tell us about your program setting, uh, just a little bit how you approach that uh, when you do it. Yeah, so we uh, tend to do that in terms of the program for the following year, we tend to do that um, uh, often in the third or early fourth quarter of, um, of the year, um, the year before, and try to map out the um, uh, the the preaching calendar that way, um, and probably a pretty a pretty typical um, thing of keeping a record of what we've looked at and trying to give people a a diet of Old and New Testament prophets, Psalms, uh, wisdom, gospel, uh, epistles, and so on. Um, 
we've increasingly lent into the um, the terms. So thinking in school terms, although not everyone's impacted by the school terms, um, we think it's quite a good pattern to think, okay, we've got this kind of 11 or 12 week run at something. And then there's a bit of... Um, a bit of leeway over the holidays to do have guest speakers or or do things. So we 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 at Providence think in terms of four major kind of preaching campaigns that are all tethered to the uh, to the term, and um, probably every maybe every other year we do something that's more kind of topical or um, uh, not so much working through a book of the Bible. But I think our main fair uh, would be um, yeah working through books of the Old and New Testament. You said your program. Uh, the year ahead. Tell me, you've been preaching for the best part of 20 years now. Have you shifted, do you think, in what you attempt when you set your program? Longer passages, shorter passages? Have you noticed any shifting there? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Yeah, I think I think what I've noticed is um, a bit of a like a kind of a piano accordion effect where I think maybe early in the stage, early in the piece, it was a bit of a one-size-fits-all situation where you sort of thought, uh, thought in those units often... Uh, the things that would work for an epistle, so you know, half a chapter of Romans or or ten verses or whatever. And I've noticed that um, uh, that these days, I simultaneously, will attempt a bigger bit uh, of of something that lends itself to that, like a huge bit of narrative in uh, one Kings or one Samuel or something like that. And then uh, on the other extreme, um, find myself really slowing down if there's a real knot there in. Um, in uh, in Romans or a a parable that I really want to sit with for a while, um, I've really uh, I think enjoyed that part of the preaching process of having permission as you become more familiar with the text and how it preaches to expand and contract, um, you know, according to the genre and um, and partly as well um, according to the uh, your take on the pastoral needs of the congregation whether you think actually we really need to sit in the text a bit more or or we need to get across um, bigger units of scripture. That's really helpful. It sounds like uh, you setting the program is not a rushed thing uh, and that careful work the year before is really going to pay off at your desk when you're trying to get a sermon down, you know, six, nine, 12 months later. Yeah, certainly um, you that year thing and then the, the week and the month and the term and so on. Uh, I always find the more... The more ahead you are, the more you can be the kind of um, the bowbird that knows that, uh, you know, you, say you've decided you're doing Leviticus in third term, um, and that's already a kind of a degree of difficulty dive doing a book like that. But then you notice on a podcast, you think, oh, they're talking about Leviticus. I'm going to listen to that. Or um, you notice something, you know, someone uh, in the media or in a a secular novel you're reading talks about atonement or wanting to be cleansed you think oh that's interesting that that's um that language that i'm you know so i think i think the more you're kind of limbering up the more you can be um in the best sense of the word kind of opportunistic about the um you know podcasts you listen to the conversations you have and uh and, and the the books that you read limbering up i like it uh well let's talk about the week uh rory or if it's not a week, maybe it's more than a week, but you actually preparing a discreet sermon. You've done the programming. It's been set, you know, the previous year. Um, just talk us into that process. Where do you start? Yeah, so what we um, we do, we have a slightly, um, uh, maybe a slightly eccentric program here because we, we uh, with our preaching team at Providence, we, we prepare two weeks ahead when we're, when we're uh, on our game. 
um, and that's partly just to do with the way we sequence um, Bible study groups and getting material and, and so on. Um, so our process goes, um, for me at least, Monday morning, I'll um, wake up after Sunday. And actually, I realize this is not not how everyone's week works. But in my case, I do really protect that Monday morning um, and uh, try to make that the, uh, the first cab off the rank is to um, jump into the passage that's coming two weeks out. And um, I'll have a cursory glance at the uh, Greek or pretend I understand what's going on in the Hebrew. Um, but I'll really just kind of go for it and almost under kind of um, almost under exam conditions, try to have a, um, a, a draft um, ready somewhere before I've um, clocked off Monday afternoon. I've got a few meetings Monday afternoon and I really work to have a... Um, a what's actually a really terrible um, first draft of the sermon um, by a close of business on the uh, on the Monday, and that's really awful. So if you ever discovered that, you'd think, oh man, what's this guy doing? Um, but I find that having that permission to turn off your internal editor and just go for it and think, imagine you know, imagine something goes wrong in the rest of the week and I have to yeah. um, crank something out, um, and I find that. Uh, that's a bit of a security blanket so that I know as the ambiguities and um, kind of curveballs of ministry come through the week, at least I know I've got something to work on. Mm. And, um, and that's the, uh, that's the task on Monday. Then uh, the only other part of the week that's dedicated time is the Thursday morning where I'll try to get um, that draft up to the, um, uh, you know, a passable, passable state and uh and in between i'll have a you know a couple of hours here a couple of hours there often early in the morning where i'll um go back to the to the greek in uh in the case of the new testament and um often uh, heavily reliant on commentaries if it's um if it's the old testament mm. but just make sure i've um uh haven't put any weight on something that hasn't got any weight bearing capacity so i've seen something in the english and it's not there or or whatever so i'll, I'll use yeah. the languages uh that way and um uh often um will I, I find myself increasingly at, at the kind of 20 year mark um rating commentaries rather than reading commentaries um nice. so i'll um i'll raid them to think oh i cannot for the life of me work that out or what's going on there or is there some background i've missed or, or whatever um or if it's a more devotional or pastoral commentary to think oh what is um what did John Stott do with this in the context of pastoral ministry and so on? Mm. Um, but um, feel free to edit this if it's not where we want to go. But I often will not read an entire commentary um, in the course of um, a preaching series, but will find myself just rating them for the bits that I that I need help with. Uh, Rory, we don't protect you. Uh, everything goes out. Right? That's uh, yeah. I, I really like that distinction. Actually, raid versus read, and probably matches uh, my experience a fair bit. I like the term. Um, just tell me about that Monday, though. You get a whole draft down on that first Monday, a, a bit, a bit under two weeks out. Yeah, that's right. And so yeah. it's, it is pretty wild. So I often find my um, my preaching notes are somewhere between uh, two hundred two thousand five hundred. Uh, to 2,700. That's a typical uh, uh, script for, for me. Mm. And um, I'll really race that. And often it's kind of getting up uh, fairly early on the Monday morning and having two shots at it, one before breakfast, um, one in that kind of mid-morning shot. And um, I've just got, you know, basically got the Bible 
uh, open there and just um, really going for it, thinking, okay, what does this passage say? Often won't have an introduction yet because I don't really know what I want to say, and then I'll come back to the introduction at the end. Hmm. Um, but this kind of this mad dash at um, getting that that script out, um, uh, and uh, the the idea there. So that's right. Then that's the thing that I I look at again on Thursday, having gone into the commentaries and to the languages, uh, and maybe some other um, technical stuff during the, the week. Um, but I'll come back to that script, and it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty embarrassing thing when I look at what Monday Rory thought um, yeah. he should say um, Thursday morning. Thursday Rory is often a bit different, but um, it does give me. I'll often um, actually physically print that out um, and work it up with a pen to cross out things, and mm. I often find with that that distance between Monday Rory and Thursday Rory, you think, oh, that whole section's completely unnecessary, or or that was me trying to work out my own thinking, but it's no use to a congregation that it's that was hmm. the you know that that's um that's me trying to get my head clear, and um and so I'll try to get that to the second stage, and then about Thursday lunchtime I'll I'll, I'll flick flick a switch and come back to the thing that was done you know a fortnight ago, um and look at that, and then I've got this kind of third shot at looking at that. Um, that script, which is better, um, having had that Thursday thing, mm. and that often gets an hour or two. Um, at that point, I'll often um, what I'll uh, do on a good week when everything's um, when it's all unicorns and sunshine is um, physically practice that. So I'll say it out loud from the from the script, and as much as possible, we try to do it as if live. So I'll hide myself in my in my um, little office. And um, just uh, and go for it. And again, then I'll often hear things that I think, oh, that's um, it looked look it on paper doesn't it doesn't really work or it's not necessary. Hmm. Um, and, and change a few things. And then again, put that aside. Friday's my my day off. And then Saturday, between Saturday and Sunday morning, I'll often. Um, uh, have another look and and some often between there you have those kind of shower thoughts or you go for a run or uh, you're waiting for the kids to finish sport and something clicks often yeah. I find at the application level um, or at the packaging level where a little um a little kink in the um in the in the final product kind of irons itself out uh, and then Sunday morning uh, I'll I'll say it out loud again um, in my office um, before before church. Then I go for a little run, which is a mental health um, strategy um, right. to kind of <laughs> uh, get rid of the morning run. Co- Righto, yeah, yeah, th- yeah. That's right. So do that, and I often do that after. So say the talk out loud, then go for a run, and then often in that run, I'll be kind of mulling over what just happened and getting my head and my heart, uh, saying my prayers, and mm. um, get, getting ready for the day. So that's the that's the. Uh, that's the typical process that I've um, stumbled into over uh, over several years. Rory, tell us about a little bit more about commentaries and where they appear in the process. Say read versus read. Mm-hmm. The advice I've often heard given to young preachers is just avoid them altogether until later in the process. So you work at the Greek first, get your exegesis down, then get an outline down, then commentaries might appear later in the process. It sounds like you're, you know, you've jumbled that up a little bit for yourself as you've gone along. Yeah, I think um, it's a good observation. I think I think as a over a um, you know over a um, over several years of of preaching, 
um, again, to to use the metaphor slightly differently, the um, of the piano accordion uh, thing, you often realise that where, or the way I'd put it is this, is that um, there's something about your process that is producing whatever it is that you're producing. And so if there are weaknesses in your preaching, there's, there's you know, there's weaknesses in all of our preaching, um, instead of focusing on the final product, I think what we need to do is go upstream and work out what's happening in my process that's leading to this result pretty consistently. Um, and uh, I think that's been different at different times. I think uh, certainly as a young preacher and in the MTS phase, I did MTS uh, over here at the, at the university um, group. And uh, at that phase, you just... You know, you're just so undercooked theologically and exegetically that the the thing you're doing is scrambling to kind of make sense of a passage and yeah. work out, you know, how a synoptic gospel is different from John, is different from an epistle, is different from a... And so, you know, I think 90% of your work is often going into um, becoming a student of Scripture. And I think, you know, I mean, you never stop being that. And I think the Bible is more fascinating and complex and um, difficult and rewarding now than it's ever been Mm. um but in terms of your your preaching ministry i think i i really um you know i think over recent years i've been convicted and convinced that that application is uh is a huge area has been a huge area for me to work on um which is partly just that you know so much of our training is at the theological exegetical level, so that's mm. that's the majority of what's happening at college and so on. And as you kind of settle into a long a long ministry with with the same people um, in the pulpit, and and as um, church uh, church grows, I've noticed that um, a lot of the ministry that I used to do, uh, say one to one or in smaller groups. So often I think in the early phases, I think, okay, my purpose now in preaching is to explain this passage. To Here's the passage and here's a group of human beings and I'm standing between the passage and those people trying to help them to make sense of the, the passage. And I think that's, mm. that's a pretty good pretty good definition of, of preaching. You're sort of like the art critic standing alongside someone saying, hey, did you notice this? Did you notice that? But increasingly, I think as a, as a pastor, I think my job is to... Um, to land this passage in the lives of the people I'm speaking to and in the circumstances that they that they face. Mm. And um, to do that well, um, a lot of the things that I used to think, well, I'll explain what the passage means when I preach and then I'll explain how it applies in a whole bunch of one-to-ones and Bible studies mm. and so on. I think, actually, no, I, wanna, I want them to... I want to pastor through preaching not the only way you pastor, but I want that to be a key pastoral moment. And, uh, and therefore I've found myself, um, uh, changing my process, including that kind of two week out kind of thing and, and making sure, um, uh, I think, you know, if I was, if I was leaving it till 1159 on Saturday night to have the talk finished, Mm. I, I was always setting myself up to give a, exegetically solid but um undercooked pedagogically and undercooked pastorally kind of sermon er back and towards so, er back towards a lecture yes um, that's yeah. right yeah yeah because you you know you 
Exactly, exactly. And I do think that the um, I think I've I've grown in a in a conviction that uh, that preaching is um, through through the head to the heart. That mm. I don't I don't want to I don't want to bypass the passage. I don't want to mm. bypass the the logic. But I love Martin Lloyd Jones's idea of logic on fire of saying mm. um, I want to. I want to pastor through teaching the Bible. I want to evangelize through teaching the Bible, and I want I want to move people, not you know through Scripture, not not around Scripture. But to do that well, you've got to simultaneously have a solid grasp of what the passage is actually saying, and um, give similar sorts of attention to thinking how does this apply, and how can I make that land in the context of a uh, of a sermon. All of what you just said, so helpful, Rory. A couple of implications. Uh, just the importance of a preacher in their local congregation standing up before the people they know and love as opposed to an excellent sermon downloaded from the other side of the world, as helpful as that might be. But the other implication, uh, just for an encouragement of any young preachers, listen, I'm hearing from a lot of young guys uh, at the MTS level, when they're in college and maybe just out of college, I'm not sure I'm a preacher. I don't really feel confident with it. I don't think I'm really smashing it. And uh, one of the implications of everything you've just saying is preachers are slow cooked. It takes a long time to develop the skill and the craft. Yeah. 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 I think that's, I, both those things are true. I think, um, uh, look, I, I like a lot of us, I really love listening to um, great preachers and I love that the um, the internet means that I can download a Tim Keller or a John Piper or, or whatever. And that's been a huge part. And that's, that's a, that, that is a part of my process that often between that Thursday to Sunday, if I'm going for a run or picking up the kids, I might mm. listen to what, you know, what one of the greats has, has done with it. Mm. Um, but I do, I think I would just echo that encouragement that I think I, I noticed that you know, myself, I think if I was ever, you know, if my next gig was um, in a not Sunday preaching thing, if um, if I was working in a parachurch situation or a, a theological college or something like that, I would gladly sit under the preaching of a bunch of guys that I work with um, who aren't conference speakers, mm-hmm. who... Um, who um, aren't people who are kind of on the on the circuit, um, but who I just think they um, they work hard at the text, and I always learn something from what they say, and they work hard at the congregation, and they they speak really um, really powerfully, and I would um, in in a heartbeat um, sit under the preaching of the guys that I work with, um, who whose names you might not might not know. Um, because they do do that kind of that localized ministry and that kind of analog ministry to actual humans yeah. um, in the circumstances of their life, and it's just uh, it, it's terrific. I think I think there are some. No, I think there's um, there's pro- there is probably such a thing as someone who who can't preach. I think that's a that that is a possible category that mm. it's just not someone's gift. Mm. I think that on the other extreme, there's people who who grow their churches through preaching, who you kind of think, humanly speaking, why are people here? And a big part of it is the, you know, this kind of extraordinary um, preacher. Hmm. Um, And between that can't preach and grow things through preaching, I think there's a whole bunch of us, which is probably the majority of, uh, of good pastors who, 
their churches aren't filling up fast because people are traveling across town to hear their preaching. Mm. But once you've rocked up to that church because of a host of other things, the love of the people in the congregation, the programs they run, the witness in the community, you settle in and you think, wait a minute, I'm going to grow here. This is, this mm. is solid. This is, I'm, I'm learning stuff. And I think, I think that's the thing that probably most of us should be aiming for is, um, you know, take your eyes off the prize of the uh, of the internet preacher and mm. think, how do I serve these people? Um, you know, to the best of my ability. And I think, uh, you know, that's I think that's that's normal. That's what we should be um, pitching for. Roy, that I love all of that. I appreciate the comments. Let's move to Sunday morning and just you on your feet. Uh, um, let me ask you a couple of really little nuts and bolts, pragmatic kind of issues. Um, do you print out your sermon full text? Yeah, I do. So I have a, uh, my typical pattern is to have a um, uh, writer in um, size 14 font, uh, you know, a concession to growing old. Um, so large font, uh, about 2,500 words, 2,700 maybe would be would be typical. Um, I learned this from Andrew uh, Reid, who some people might know um, in Melbourne. Uh, he was one of the guys that taught me to preach, and um, I always go to a new line after every full stop. So I'm looking at a, a page that's justified on the right hand on the left hand side, and um, uh, and that's that's what I go in with. But, and this is what, what I learned from Andrew, that's there mainly as a security blanket rather than the uh, the script. And on the right-hand side of the page, often in biro, sometimes in um, within the Word document or whatever, I've written the points in bold on that side of the page. And what I want to do on my feet is preach from the right-hand side of the um, page and go back to the left-hand side either if I'm in some panic or if there's some particular bit that where the wording needs to be exact. Um, so that's that's sort of what I um, come in with. So I want to, um, I've got that there as a security blanket, as a, uh, a way of capturing the um, what I want to say and preach three times on a Sunday because we've got three three services. So often in the afternoon, I can have another look and, and kind of remind myself after the natter nap, um, <laughs> what's uh, what's going on. But trying to preach from the um, the uh, the right hand side of the page where it's just the titles. Now the purpose of preaching from those points is let's just yeah, trace so that you, out. Yeah. So uh, a few things there is. Um, I think uh, a few years in, uh, maybe arbitrarily somewhere between the three and the five year mark, um, I think most preachers, it's time to kind of pinch yourself and say, actually, you do know what you're doing. You do know what you're saying. Mm. You don't You don't need to be as tied to the notes as you think you do. And um, uh, I think there is a bit of psychology there to just um, to name and think, actually, no, no, I'm, I'm across this. If I... If the you know the iPad went on the blink, I could probably keep going and hack mm. my way through. Um, I really want to be um, a, a have as much eye contact with the congregation as possible. So I want to um, be, um, if I can, like away from the lectern, coming back to the lectern um, to get what I need next to remind myself where I'm up to. But I really want to be addressing the people and really lean into the idea that church is this it's a moment here we are together um mm. and uh and addressing them and, and especially the more my preaching i often think um i think my preaching i would like to think my preaching has got worse 
at a conference level and better as a church pastor level. That Interesting. I, yeah, I, I I've that's heard you true. at conferences. It, it was it was okay. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> okay, thanks, Gary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, appreciate that. But I I think uh, yeah the the more I go on, the more I think actually I really I want the bread and butter of my preaching ministry not to be kind of generic talks that you could preach anywhere at any time under any circumstances, but um, you know, really capturing this moment and speaking to these people. Um, mm. And so I want to be um, untied to the script uh, so that I can be physically uh, addressing them eyeball to eyeball uh, mm. as, as we go through. I think in the intermediate step, I think probably between the five and 10 year mark, um, increasingly I would do little... Um, uh, like dares with myself of instead of writing out, you know, a whole section, I'd say, okay, at this point, I'm just going to write in the right hand column, you know, anecdote about mum at the zoo and yeah, yeah. <laughs> think, hey, Rory, uh, you might not be able to explain Romans 5, 8, and 9, but I reckon you can remember what your mum did at the zoo that time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, often if you do that, you think, oh, okay, that was fine. That was a victimless crime that, uh, mm. Uh, it came to me, and and that's that's a good way I've found of um, extending yourself in those that confidence to be a bit more um, uh, um, extempore in your preaching, bit by bit, step it out. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Um, I just wonder if that bullet point thing. I think we need to be a little bit careful of that. Is my comment of that, and you can tell me what you think of this. Um, we do need precision with our words at points don't we yeah talk about mum at the zoo um, yeah. tell it how you like but as you say Romans 5, 8 and 9 we need yeah. really tight precision so we need to be careful not to go hey just free of notes is entirely the point and having eye contact all the time that's the gold standard mm. yeah I think I think that's that's right and I think I you know I think I think I think part of what you notice with really good preachers, like preachers that you find really engaging, is that there's a lot of um, what I would call texture in the sermon, that there's points where you think, okay, this is an anecdote. They've walked away from the lectern. They're just talking about this hilarious thing that mum said one time when you were looking at the uh, orangutans or something like that. And you've got almost that, that all the, the physical and audio signals are, okay, we're just kind of having a little bit of fun here. We're driving home a point and they're speaking appropriately. Whereas if you're over the lectern, like, you know, uh, kind of grinding your way through an anecdote about mum at the zoo, um, mm. that that's kind of missed signals. But I think that also buys you the opportunity to come back to, to come back to the lectern and say, okay, hey, look, for the next three or four or five minutes, we're going to work pretty hard at Romans 5, 8, and 9. Mm. And I'm going to be, I'm not going to make as much eye contact with you because at the moment I really need to make sure I've, I'm saying the right therefore, the right because, the right so that. Mm. Um, and I think, um, I think a big thing about the listenability of sermons is that you want to tether your, um, you know, speed, pitch, um, style to the thing that you're trying to do. So mm. often there'll be guys, and often it's actually the more kind of charismatic and exuberant guys that you think, why isn't this working? Because they're such, um, 
energetic guys. And often mm. what's happened is that they've applied their energy from go to woe. And so, yeah. you know, if they're saying, um, hey, guys, welcome along to church tonight. Um, we're going to look up Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And now we're in Romans chapter 5. And then my mum was at the zoo. She fell over and it was really funny. And then you think, no, dude, I need a break. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, br- bright and breezy and engaging and really nice to listen to, but it just never stops all the way through. Yes, that's yeah, really common. Yeah. That's right. So working it, I like your word texture, but just shifting cadence and uh, giving yourself, but tethering that to the content of the sermon at the time. That's really great. This is a really important aspect of engagement. We um, plan to ask a question around this, just keeping people engaged. We live in the, the smartphone online kind of age, and, you know, attention span shrinking down. And so I think we perhaps it, it really is true. We have to work harder as preachers than perhaps people did, you know, decades ago, centuries ago, to keep people tuned in. You've just mentioned an aspect of that. What about um, other aspects of your preaching to help people stay with you and to stay engaged? And more importantly, you mentioned the purpose of preaching, to actually understand what's being said so that it impacts their hearts. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's exactly right. And we, we certainly um, do face particular challenges. I totally agree with that. Um, where, you know, I think that it's interesting because you've also got, you know, three-hour Joe Rogan podcasts and... Um, you know, uh, lectures by Jordan Peterson and so on. So the internet's brought some funny things online. Um, yeah, I got a, I got a theory though. I got a theory because I love all that kind of stuff. I, yep. it's just, it just doesn't ask as much of you as a listener. I don't think. Yes, because, yeah. it, it's okay. Uh, yeah, because it's well, partly because it's the way you ingest it that you're doing it. You're listening to it while you're driving the kids somewhere or yeah. doing the shopping, hmm. and. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. You kind of letting it letting it wash over you. Yeah, but I think that kind of, you know, church is, um, you know, a bunch of people in the same place at the same time. That that, that that's a that's a high demand thing. Mm. That's that's a that's a fair call. Um, so yeah, I th- I mean I think that's right. I think you do want to say um, Broughton Knox, who was the um, the principal of Moore College a few principals ago, um, who himself was a really um, kind of mixed preacher. Certainly not technically brilliant. Um, uh, always interesting because his exegesis mm. was so um, so compelling. But um, he he, I remember he once said that you could get these um, the audio files on the Moore College um, uh, you know library, and uh, he said uh, to the students when he says your your first job, your first uh, requirement as a uh, as a preacher is to be uh, interesting. <laughs> and then he, he and then this he paused. Fabulous, said, fabulous impression. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. And he, yeah. he said, and, he, and then he pauses for dramatic effect. He says, now, of course, I, I don't apply that to myself, but I apply it to you. And, <laughs> and it was this kind of uh, cheeky acknowledgement that, that preaching, his preaching was somewhat idiosyncratic. Mm. Um, now, coming from almost anyone else, that's terrible advice that the first job of a preacher is to be interesting, first job mm. of a preacher is to be faithful. Um, but coming from him, it was very, you know, um, it had a particular weight to it because if you if no one's listening to you, almost nothing else matters. Doesn't matter if it was yeah. heretical or not, or um, you know, there's no no damage is happening if no one's listening, and no good is happening if no one's listening. And so I think listenability shouldn't be the goal of a sermon, but it's the necessary. It's it's the thing that has to happen for anything else to happen. So you know, it's like that. Yeah. You know that 
classic thing where you say, um, you know, the surgery was a success, um, but the patient died. Mm. And I think as preachers, we've got to say, listen, if no one was listening, the surgery was not successful. Like the, uh, the thing that we want preaching to do couldn't happen because no one was listening. And at that level, I do think it is that these are crucial questions to think how is it that people will listen? And look, I think hmm. I think some of the things there are finding your voice. Um, so I, I'm know, just going to now come back to that phrase, Rory, um, the, the finding your voice thing. I think it's really important. But you just said something really important because I think there is a danger in our tribe where we go, my job's to be faithful and everybody else can just sort themselves out. You know, if they're not listening, that's their problem because mm. I'm, I'm preaching truth. I'm dropping truth bombs. And uh, they should just listen to it. So I, I just want to underline your point there. But um, finding a voice, that's a, an interesting concept. Yeah, so I do think that's right. So yeah, I totally agree with you, Gary. I think, I think that kind of, I think we need to not let ourselves off the hook of listenability because that's, you know, it's like, it's like going to church and saying, oh, listen, it was, it was a good sermon. It was, um, it was faithful and so on, but the mic wasn't on so no one could hear you. <laughs> At that point, you think, actually, that's a pretty serious problem. We should yeah. have turned the mic on. And <laughs> You know, by extrapolation, if if it was just unlistenable. Now, I think finding your voice is a big part of that because you think, you know, you can sit back in the day. Maybe there's an old reference now, but back in the day, you could sit transfixed by uh, John Woodhouse, and but his voice was he found his voice, and it was just you know this kind of relentlessly excellent exegesis. And uh, I think for all of us, you can kind of think to yourself. Um, if if it is the case that you can you can preach, um, it's worth thinking. What is it about my preaching that I can lean into and think this is this is my voice. This is kind of this is how I hold people's attention. This is um, th- this is how I've learnt to uh, to be someone that is that people will will listen to. I think that is a really important thing, and I think often. Um, it's as you find your voice that you find your feet as a preacher. And I think a big part of that is um, weaning yourself off preaching to your um, teachers and preaching to your congregation. I remember um, Tim Thorburn um, was the guy that really, he's the guy that really trained me. And um, he was absolutely crucial in learning the craft of preaching and learning the the you know the the exegetical process and so on, and so I owe you know you know more than I can say to him. And yet, a key moment for me in my preaching, and I can almost remember the day and the sermon and the situation, was the day when I thought to myself, uh, "Hey, Rory, you've got to stop preaching to Tim. Hmm. Like you've you've got to stop." Mm. kind of preparing these sermons thinking I've got to get the exegesis past my mentor. I've got to, Mm. you know, I've got to imagine that Graham Goldsworthy's up the back and he's holding up scorecards and um, having Graham Goldsworthy, you know, metaphorically up the back, having your mentor there is, is really crucial at the formative phase when you're learning your theology, but it's something that you've got to um, get off and think actually my purpose now is to preach to these people with the faithfulness that those guys taught me but mm. i'm not this is not for you it's it's uh for the people in front of me that that's a crucial part to finding your voice i think yeah i was going to put it slightly differently um just losing your fear of man fear of mentors seeking their approval that's excellent and mm. just shifting towards loving the folk in front of you 
Yeah, um, that's good. That's good. I really encourage listeners to grab on to that point. Uh, Rory, your use of illustrations. Do you avoid? You're really selective. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I do uh, uh, use um, illustrations and I think um, uh, illustrations and, and stories, I think um, maybe depending on maybe this is a our tribe thing or it's a particular subset thing, but I think often we will um, uh, either run out of time to, to find those illustrations and, um, and just keep grinding through the... Um, the exposition, um, or I find myself that I'll think, so say for example, it's something on, um, uh, uh, say, say, um, caring for the poor in Jesus name. I think it's more compelling to give statistics to say, oh, there's, you know, Mm. 1.1 million people in Australia who are in a certain level of poverty and, um, Mm. you know, 62% of them are from this and 38% of them are that. And this is the most effective thing, but actually far more compelling counterintuitively um to say hey let me tell you about jerry jerry Mm. grew up in a community in the north um never uh, saw his dad um has got you know and to tell those stories which you think how is the story of one person uh actually gonna help um but there's something about the concrete that's much more compelling than the abstract Mm. and um so I certainly find uh, myself that um, often that that advanced preparation in my case is the thing that means that the sermons get illustrated and get um, you know get good illustrations because I'm I think in the the zone that I'm in when I've got the commentaries open the Greek in front of me it is not really a illustration zone it's a exposition zone hmm. um, whereas the illustrations are much more likely to come in the cut and thrust of, you know, running errands and stuff like that. So yeah. I, th- I, th- I think I, I really value them. And I really value that kind of that texture thing of um, being able to say to the congregation, uh, look, either there's a kind of illustration that's a bit of a, um, uh, a bit of a coffee break where it's, it's, you know, the whole sermon isn't writing on it, but it's going to help a bit. And it just gives people a breather to get back in or the illustration or story that really, um, really lands something that really is um, uh, that that puts uh, flesh on the bones of the thing you've been trying to say. Yeah, that's great. Have you found that your use of illustrations has shifted over time? You know, that sort of finding your voice thing, and as a younger preacher, perhaps feeling nervous about keeping people's attention, so looking for that really grabby illustration and almost compensating for your preaching with an illustration that you're just tacking onto the sermon. Have you noticed a yeah, shift, do you yeah. reckon? Yeah, let me let me think if if I've if I've seen that shift. I think um uh what have I experienced? I think I've found um I think I think the more the more we find our voice, the more you work out where in your voice do illustrations um, fit like are you, are you the person that is um, that's um, that's your kind of shtick that you you've got some illustration that just breaks open the passage in a way that nothing else would mm. um, and uh, I think it's probably a wider repertoire for me I think um, maybe in the in the last um, five or so years I think I've 
I have found illustrations sometimes are real I've found them helpful at the expositional level of saying, Hey look, here's this passage, it's a bit like that. That's gonna help you understand this passage. Mm. That's um that that's a, a change I think I've found um in in the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. They don't and they don't need to be long. I think sometimes no, we can do with more much shorter illustrations that are almost yeah. little asides. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 and you've got that kind of. I think uh, Mikey Lynch talks about the kind of sidebar thing where you can, mm. you know, on any most web most web pages aren't just a big wall of text. There'll be a menu down the side and a thing over here and comments underneath and stuff, mm. and you can you can kind of move that. I think you know a really good a really good basic way to think uh, as you prepare a sermon. I found at least is to think there's our world and the world of the text. And you're moving back and forward between those two worlds, and um, you know, I think on average, a a sermon that spends all its time in our world is going to end up in a kind of self help, um, you know, wisdom of the preacher kind of vibe, and a sermon that spends all its time in the world of the text is going to end up in that lecturey sort of um, uh, academic type situation. Preaching and to the moving- commentators. Exactly, exactly, mm. yeah. Which yeah. I think, if I may, if I may say so, I think particularly uh, something that I think most of us should sweat a bit more is our introductions, because I think you get your kind of your your freak Tim Keller who's up there, sort of who says, uh, you know, he's kind of got that professorial. Um, Oh, welcome along. Today we've got these four points. You know, the heart of the passage, the passage of the heart. The you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you think, but even then, I, I think for him that's that that's a bit meta because you've got this kind of you know this guy in a cardigan who's going to have this um <laughs> you know kind of Dumbledore Gandalf type moment, and you you settle in for that. But I think yeah. I think for most of us, I think with your our introductions. I, I really want the stakes to be high. Like I want to think why I just, I had a, I had a little bit of a low key argument with my wife on the way here. I got really irritated with the kids. Parking was a bit of a mission and um, I'm a bit worried about getting to the thing we've got, you know, after lunch. I want to think that's the person I'm preaching to and they get here and they didn't spend all week wondering whether Carl Bart was right about, you know, chapter eight, verse nine. Um, so they don't come in with that problem to be solved or what the new perspective says about this or, or whatever. And so I do think you've got this this tiny window there where you've got to think actually, you know, the stakes are high, that there's something that even if you didn't come, you know, wondering about the exegesis of this particular verse, this verse, this passage is the answer to something that really does matter in the cut in in the trenches of everyday so, life? So it's a question. Yeah, yeah. So you think it's a and, question? And, you know, tell, you wanna... tell me more. This is we were going to go there. This is so important. What what does it mean for you to be compelling and to raise the yeah, stakes? So, yeah. So I reckon raising the stakes is is it's it's both. Um, let's say you're answering the question. Why am I here? And, uh, you know, I think you, you, you're serving the people you're listening to by saying, 
look, there's a very good reason to give me the next 25, 35, 40 minutes of your time. I really, I, I want to, um, you know, God doesn't have to argue for their attention, but 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 in a sense, we do. We, we've mm. got to say, look, here, I'm your servant and I, I, I want you to listen. And, um, uh, you know, so the difference between saying, um, you know, uh, um, you know, oh, we're up to chapter three of Galatians and chapter three is really important in the flow of the book of Galatians because after chapter two, Paul said this thing and so on. Mm. You know, versus, versus saying, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know an, a, an illustration or an, an opening gambit that says, look, uh, I want you to listen because you, 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 we won't be able to be the people that God's called us to be or... Um, to experience the comfort that he calls us to if we don't understand, you know, what we're about to learn. So ha- having the, answering the question, why are we here? And then the, the stakes thing is that a lot of preaching, like a lot of good storytelling and even even music in its own way is about tension and resolution. Yeah. And so um, I think at the opening of a sermon, I think a really powerful thing to do is to say, hey, I want to pose to you a problem and it's either a problem in the passage or it's a problem in the in the world or a problem in the church or a problem in your life. And, and I want to not solve that problem for you yet, but I want to set it up for you because, you know, God through the work of the Spirit by the death and resurrection of Jesus has something to say about that. And so having... Having t- having tension in the first part of the the talk that is then resolved a- at the end, I think is um, is a really I think that's um, that's if, if I put it, I think that's pretty low hanging fruit. Like I think most of us can get there if mm. we if we if we just have that principle in mind to say, hey, listen, I want to raise tension and then resolve tension, and so I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm now I'm I'm struggling on my feet to think of a uh, a um a good example of that. But to say, um, well, this is uh, uh, just take a couple of seconds and and you can think while I. But there's a contrast here uh, where an introduction is a funny anecdote that has an idea that's somehow related to something in the passage, and it's kind of oh, in that story is a thing that's just like a thing in the passage, and so let's talk about the passage. Yeah, uh, which misses that tension kind of idea, and I think yes. when we're struggling, when we're not confident um, in the word, and we're like, "Oh, I just need to get these people's attention. I need to make them like me somehow." Yep. And yep. isn't he a funny guy? And he tells funny stories. So we're doing something much more dramatic, much more serious. Now, have you got an example? Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's really good, Gary. And I think that's 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 exactly where what I'm trying to. Um, grapple with is that if you say at the beginning so let's let's say let's say that those first couple of minutes are really you answering the question why would i keep listening mm-hmm. and if you say oh weren't collingwood terrible on the weekend you know everyone hates collingwood mm-hmm. then what are you doing i guess you're saying you're saying something you're saying i'm relatable um i also watch footy i'm not just like a distant minister or whatever maybe mm-hmm. maybe there's something in that um or a you know something which is you know you're essentially saying, hey, I'm a warm guy that kind of was doing what you were doing on Saturday, so keep mm. listening. That that yeah. that might be that might be a good thing to do in certain contexts. Mm. Um 
Or you get the situation where you say, hey, um, uh, you know, um, um, the, you know, Jesus was, um, you know, oh, the other day I got, um, you know, I was mistake. I was in the shops and someone said hello to me um, and they started talking to me, but I wasn't the person they thought I was. And it was a bit embarrassing for all of us. Um, mm. You know, one time in Jesus' life, um, people were struggling with who he was. Now, that is the kind of illust- that's the kind of opening game that we often do. And I want to say, I reckon that's not very good because the tension and the resolution have already been contained yeah. in the first three minutes. Yeah. So you say, you know, the other day I was confused. There was a case of mistaken identity. Um, Jesus has a mistake of, a case of mistaken identity. At that point, you're like, well, okay, I've got the problem and the solution, and you've still got the work in front of you of why should I keep listening? Yeah. So, because so what? What? What's a version of that on that concept? Very common theme in the Gospels: the identity of Jesus. What's a version of that introduction that maintains the tension? Yeah. So, so something like, um, you know, could you could you reach out into our world and say? Um, uh, uh, hey, look! Of all the things that, of all the things that Jesus, you know, I got a word cloud or I searched up Google or whatever. Um, turns out people think Jesus was a, uh, you know, a great teacher. That he was a moral person. That he was a social justice warrior. That he he cared for the poor. Um, all that. Then maybe you could say, um, look, I want to take you to a passage in the uh, in the Gospel of Mark that blows that out of the water and you are you are never gonna guess the kinds of people that jesus was mistaken for and if we can come to terms with that we will have had a huge step forward in our understanding of jesus and maybe sharpen that up with the possibility that uh hey just hold up, hold open the possibility maybe you don't have him right yeah, 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 yeah. That we need to yeah. be clear too. Yeah, there's a possibility. Yeah. Let the passage work on you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, mate, you know, even and you think that that's exactly right. And you think, how can I raise the stakes on that thing? Okay, so what about if I say to the congregation, what, what's the further I go to say, hey, listen, um, you know, talking about what what Google says Jesus was and what people say Jesus was, and then you say, hey, listen, I want to say to you, I can almost guarantee that you and I even if we're followers of Jesus, are walking around with a misapprehension about who he really was or mm. this aspect of his character. And this passage is going to, you know, and then, because I don't want the, I want the the passage to be the solution to the problem that I've created. Mm. And I want the people listening to think, I need to know. Mm. Like, you know, to say, to to nudge your, your partner or the person that invited you to church or whatever and you suddenly think, oh my goodness, I've, I've got no choice. I've got to keep listening because if I, it's going to just, it's going to niggle me if I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah. Rory, uh, as you speak about introductions like that, you're really talking about application as well, because the application is yeah. very significantly about answering the question and then applying the answer to the question. Yeah, I reckon that's that's a good way of thinking. And I think my kind of, I think often we have. Um, a default um, 
uh, sermon structure, which I think is fine. That's part of finding your voice. A part of what you mm. want to do, though, is not always default to your default mm. um, as you find your voice. But my, certainly my my um, my default sermon structure would be essentially I want to raise something at the beginning where there are high stakes um, where the passage is going to be the solution to the problem and when the people listening are now thinking, actually, I, I was going to just check something on my phone, but I don't want to miss this because he's, <laughs> he's about to show me from the scripture a, a thing that's going to really annoy me if I don't hear the answer. And I want that opening, that introduction to set up for the conclusion and I want the conclusion to set up for application so i don't want the solution to be i don't want the the problem to be hey you know as we all know um the new perspective is really throwing pauline studies upside down <laughs> and um i think this passage really shows how you know um how um nt right has misunderstood this thing because mm. 99% of the people we're listening to, that wasn't the problem they came with mm. and that's not the solution they need. And even if you can solve that problem um, in, in your sermon, I, I think I, I want to set up the introduction to say, hey, here's this thing that, that makes a material difference to your following of Jesus, your knowledge of Jesus, your joy in Jesus. Then through the passage to come to that point where you, uh, you hit that resolution and... I think my kind of default structure is raise the tension in the start. Here's the problem that we're going to solve and here's why it matters. Solve the problem at the penultimate level to say, do you see that having done this work together, here's the answer to that thing we were grappling with at the start and then come out of that and and kind of let the brakes out or whatever the right kind of driving metaphor is there Mm. and to to really go into a um ending that with what what would it look like to live this what would a how, how would our circumstances our hearts minds actions change as a result of having this problem uh problem solved and you're not going to do that by finishing your prep at 11 59 on saturday night yeah, exactly. I, I'm certainly yeah. not. I mean, there's probably other. There may be other people. I, I'm suspecting it's a different tribe to our tribe. There may be people that spend all week thinking of illustrations and applications, and at 11:59 have a sneaky look at the Greek <laughs> and think, "Oh my goodness." Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. But I'm I'm guessing that uh, in our in our with our kind of um, our gang, um, the thing that we're gonna run out of time on if we're not disciplined is that. Uh, how do I make this listenable, uh, which is that tension resolution thing, and how do I make it, um, yeah. And again, I don't want to, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm sure this is not uh, uh, being heard. I, I, I want to get through exegesis and through theology to to application. I think that, to, to me, that that's the preaching that kind of changed my life mm. is where it was, protein rich like like not too many carbs not too much sugar mm. um uh, lots of protein but where you were the resources of scripture weren't just um gathered together so that you'd say hey look here's this here's this rich almost indigestible diet but here's this 
here are the resources of Scripture, and you can see it, and I can see it because we've been had our Bibles open, and we've we've taken great delight in the way this passage works. But we're corralling them toward the the sharp end of the um, of the arrow, which is a, a um, you know a, a, um, this will maybe sound more more Pentecostal than I am, but with a, a direct encounter with the living God, with a okay, um, I I went from fascinated. That passage was more interesting than I thought it was to flawed. Like, Mm. oh my goodness, I just, God just cut me wide open and did serious surgery or comfort or encouragement or whatever. Um, I I, I think think that's, that's, that's that's the gold standard that we should be working and praying for. That's an exciting prospect to sit at your desk with that in mind. And Rory, if yeah. that makes you Pentecostal, so is Hebrews, because the word of the Lord is living and active and sharpening your two-edged sword. It's cuts the heart. That's right. Um, brother, real quick questions, because we're running out of time here. But um, No worries. Uh, PowerPoint, screen? Do you have images everywhere? Uh, Simple headings? No screens at all? Uh, so I, I tend to preach with no screens. That might be just a, 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 um, a thing. Some people probably do it well, um, not kind of not what I uh, naturally go for. Um, I think if you do if you do use them, um, I think you want to my, my rule with um, visuals is I, I typically wouldn't use it and I only use, I only want to use a visual if the point would be lost without it. I don't want to use visuals to aid and abet a point that you can already make adequately on its own. Yeah. So um, I think, uh, you know, if um, if I'm trying to describe where Jericho is relative to Jerusalem, um, that's an easy one. If I can get a map up there and do that, or if you're trying to show, you know, that 33.2% of whatever, uh, uh, you know, a pie, a pie chart is going to do that a lot better. Mm. Um but I, I, I kind of want to think with um, with graphics. What's the few? What, what's the what's the most I can do without them, and only use them if uh, if I if um, they have that illustrative um, kind of purpose. Yeah. Do you seek feedback? Yeah. Yep. So I think um, uh, in the earlier days, I, I was really hungry for feedback on each and every talk. I didn't trust the positive stuff and. Um, much happier with people to just uh, you know with with due kind of space um uh you know a few days later really happy um to take on feedback and uh especially critical feedback um these days um we do a little bit of feedback in the um in our weekly staff meeting and um uh but what i'm more interested in at the kind of 20 year mark is feedback over not on any individual sermon, but over the experience of having me as the kind of more than 50% speaker. Because hmm. I think I've got, I've got a little theory that preaching is less impactful than we think it is on any given sermon and more impactful hmm. than we think it is over time. Yes. So I think... Um, Preaching often does pretty poorly on a pedagogical um, metric. If you're trying to think, how much did you remember? How much? How much did you get out of that? If you're looking at the individual unit, you think, oh, is this even is it even worth preaching? Mm. But I think actually, if you're hearing your pastor preach to you 
um, more often than not over a year, the things that they lean in on and the things that they ignore, they're, you know, in any given sermon, you don't have to mention hell or judgment. Yeah. But if you've been at a church for five years and you never hear about that, that's profoundly misshaping of your understanding of the gospel. Hmm. Or if, or if every time you preach, um, you're preaching against someone who's not in the room. So every week you're bashing the Pentecostals or you're bashing the uh, liberals <laughs> or you, you know, yeah. cultural. You've been a cultural warrior. Um, that might be appropriate on any given Sunday, but I think you know, two, three, four years of that, and you're feeding into something really unhealthy. Mm. And so I'm increasingly interested in people who could say, hey, dude, I've sent under your preaching for about, you know, for a little while now. Have you ever noticed that you always flinch at that point or you're always, yeah, that's what I'm really interested in these days. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good point about the longer term. Um, it's an interesting theory you've got about the individual sermon and uh, over the longer term. Someone uh, once said to me that good preaching is like a really healthy diet. You don't remember every meal, but you grow strong as a result. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Rory, there's so much more to talk about, um, but we're going to pull it up there. Thank you so much for taking a part in this podcast series. If you're enjoying this podcast from Reach Australia, can I commend to you the Reach Australia Podcast Network? One of the podcasts in that network is Homegrown Faith, produced by Hunter Bible Church in Newcastle. Richard Sweatman and Joe Clark discuss God, faith and life lived following Jesus. It's a podcast that's helpful for those in your congregation particularly to spur them forward in living out their own faith.